0: you read so much about the food and beverage industry right now that um, with plant-based and keto and everything else that's going on that you would think it's an, an easy industry to be successful in. And, um, cause there's so many new brands launching. Um, yes, there's a lot of access to capital that there wasn't 20 years ago, but the, it's a very challenging and very competitive, and grocery especially is a very expensive market to launch in. Um, so I think one of the myths there is that it's easy to be successful in this industry and it's, it's very challenging and it's even more challenging to build a brand that lasts a lifetime. So, um, you know, longevity is not um, good to a lot of food and beverage brands. You see some that come on quickly, very successful in the beginning and then they're gone.
1: Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Expert. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that's grown several startups into seven and eight-figure businesses, as well as a founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where he helps startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks you ever need help with yours, just go to strategymeeting.com, grab some time with us to chat, and we're always here to help. Now, today we've got another great expert on the podcast, uh, Jeremy Smith, and uh, Jeremy's going to be talking about a little bit about uh, experience, um, particularly in the food and beverage industry, which is a lot of areas where uh, people tend to uh, have different products, Um, and a part of that will be talking a little bit about uh, picking the right brands, or how you go about picking the brands what the strategy is for companies like Costco and others and how you position yourself and how you dig down into the brands. Um, Maybe talk a little bit about um, what uh, good leadership and good teams mean versus just a great product. In other words, does it matter if it's a good team, if you have a great product or if you have a great team, does it matter if you have a good product and talk a little bit about that as well as uh, maybe scaling a business um, and uh, and then also uh, how to, to pitch your product successfully. So with that much as a a run through of a bit of what we're hopeful to talk about today. Welcome on the
0: podcast, Jeremy. Thank you. Good to be on again.
1: Absolutely, and for those of you that didn't catch it, we do also we had Jeremy on earlier. Um, the other podcast uh, series that we do, the Inventive Journey podcast series. So if you definitely uh, invite everybody to go and check him out there and uh, catch his episode, if you want to learn a little bit more about uh, Jeremy's background. Uh, but for today, for those that either don't have time or didn't catch the other episode, or say, hey, I just want to hear the expertise. Um, what you introduce yourself a bit to the audience, give let us everybody know a little bit about uh, why you have experience in uh, in this area.
0: Yeah, so we work with uh, food and beverage brands to help them get into uh, Costco. That's the only retailer we work with. We have worked with Sam's Club and BJ's in the past, but we're just focused on Costco. So it could be any size company, as little as a million a year in sales, all the way up to a billion in sales.
1: Awesome. No, and that uh, sounds like a, a, an interesting uh, interesting company and uh, one that uh, certainly could uh, help a lot of people out. So well, with that, um, so now let's dive into a bit of the area of expertise. And one of the things that I think I'm sure will be of interest to people, especially if you're in the food and beverage industry, but even in the industry in general, and you're trying to get into businesses like a Costco or a Walmart or others that are looking whether it's beverages or other products is to kind of how they go about positioning their product or how they go about positioning themselves for success and so you know in that position how do they what is the criteria that ways that they go about deciding and same with you and helping to to craft that uh, what products are good or which ones should work or what should they focus on or kind of what is or some ideas as to how you you, how to go, go about tackling that.
0: Yeah. So, you know, um, obviously I've been doing this for, uh, 23 years and a lot has changed. Um, so, you know, a lot of this has to do with, um, you know, the type of brands, what category they're in obviously plant-based category right now. Um, whether you're in food or beverage is very hot. Uh, keto is still popular, but I think plant-based overall, is driving a lot of the food and in, in beverage category and you know how we look at it um over the years as we've evolved our strategy in helping these brands get into costco and get into uh you know get on the shelf is to uh, really focus on the teams that are running the company we used to look at product as most important now it's the team because we just had too many people that would come to us with great ideas unbelievable products um, but no ability to execute uh, um, and when i say execute that means from either running their own plant to working with a co-packer sourcing ingredients um, just you know really struggled with that and so you know sometimes we'll even take an inferior product over a better one if the team ex- excels with the inferior product because they have the ability and the experience to get across the finish line, as to where sometimes people that are coming in for the first time really don't know what they're getting into. So they assume they can do something, which is, you know, it's it's great that they're very positive, but when you get in with a retailer like Costco, who's very particular, um, they can eat you alive. So. Um, it's really important that brands understand that you really have to be able to move at the speed of Costco when you want to work with a retailer like that. Same thing with Walmart. Now well,
1: let Walmart. me just or dive in, just ask one question. I think you hit on two different things and, and maybe we can explore both of those a bit. One is the actual product itself. In other words, I'm sure that if it was absolute terrible product, even if you have a great team, if it's a really bad product, probably still not going to get in the store, but vice versa, you say, even if it's not as good as maybe some other products out there, but they have a great team, they can get into the store. So there's a, kind of that dichotomy of one is what is a product itself and what can set that up for success or what should you be thinking about? And then also what there's what is it about the team or those that will, even if you don't have as good of strong a product on one side, that you can uh, have a, a, a good chance of success with a good team. So maybe breaking that out, focusing on the product first, and then we'll jump to the team second, what is it on the product? Or in other words, what are some of the things that people are saying, Hey, I have a food and beverage, or even I'm just going to go and try and pitch Costco or Walmart or other, you know, big box stores to get my product in. How should they be thinking about, you know, probably product perspective, what should they be thinking about?
0: Well, when we look at the product, we're looking for um, something we call do DUE, which means that the product has attributes that are disruptive, unique, and exclusive. Um, Doesn't mean they have to be the only one in the category, but something unique about it. So something that is unique and exclusive could be, um, a bakery has a, a cookie that they make and it's based on an old style European recipe and the exclusivity is how much, you know, the recipe itself and the process with, with which it's made makes it different than how traditional cookies are made. So you've got this incredible um, taste. Uh, we worked many years ago with a company called Sugar Bowl Bakery and they had a palmier and it's, you know, palmiers are elephant ear shaped cookies. And um, the thing that was unique about them that set them apart was A, they were using butter and B, they had a special unique process for um, uh, mixing the, the palmier that gave it a much richer and deeper taste. And so that set it apart from most of the other ones, which tasted too sugary and not rich enough. And so those, those it, it can be something as simple as that in the product, or it can be more complicated like, you know, with someone like Chimani, how they you know, strain their, um, the whey protein that, uh, comes from the milk, um, when you're making Greek yogurt. So, um, they're, they're unique to each company. Um, but, um, you know, they're similar in the, you know, how, you know, what their approach is and they set themselves apart in a way that makes it different. Cause otherwise, if you don't have that, then it really just comes down to price and whoever has the lowest price and you don't want to play that game.
1: Let me just kind of follow up. With, and I think that's definitely insightful. So in my mind, and you can definitely correct me, cause you're the expert where I'm wrong, but there, you know, a couple of things with the product. One is you know, especially in food and beverage is a the taste or the, the product itself. In other words, does it taste good Does it, you know, have good quality. Are people going to like it and want to repeat buying it? Then there is also the packaging, right? And sometimes the packaging almost sells the product sometimes better than the the product itself. In other words, you can have a great product and terrible packaging and nobody will pick it up off the shelf because they don't know what it is or it doesn't look appealing. So, how do you weigh or, you know, and I get you should focus on all of them, but you know, if you're looking at what is more important is it getting a really solid packaging that conveys the value of your product and what it is and why you should buy it or is it more on hey focus first on the in the food and beverage the taste or the quality of the product and then let the packaging kind of come in second any any thoughts on that
0: yeah i don't think there's a uh, i think they're both tied for first yeah the packaging has to communicate the brand story um, because that's the first interaction that a consumer is going to have with it it also lays the ground for the expectations of what the consumer um, is, is expecting prior to tasting the product because that's an important part of the point with brands is that you've got to communicate on that level and grab that consumer in and pull them in and that consumer has to understand you know is it, it immediately when they see the packaging it either turns them on or it turns them off. It's it's really simple. Um, it takes about a three to seven second time at, uh, period at the most for them to make a decision on whether they're even going to try it. So the packaging is incredibly important, which then you have to deliver on the product experience. Because if someone, let's say you've got a beverage that has the flavors Meyer lemon, well, you're going to have that first expectation of, Oh, who is this brand? Who is the company? Wow. I love the story. Now the question becomes in a specific flavor, like a Meyer lemon, does it really taste like a Meyer lemon or has the, the, the company um, misstepped on that and it tastes too sweet or too different. So all of those things go together, but I, I can't stress enough how important, package design is good package design and it costs money but it's worth every penny but you cannot start working on your package design until you've got your story on your of your brand and it doesn't matter whether you're in food or beverage or you're selling michelin tires you've got to get your story straight because if there's inconsistencies between what you say as an entrepreneur out in public or your packaging conveys a completely different message than what's on your website, consumers are going to get confused. And when they get confused, they generally move towards the negative, um, on your brand.
1: No, and I think that, that certainly makes sense. Now I just, i half of this is just as much curiosity as anything else is on the packaging, you know, is it. And I I am assuming, but I, I don't know that it maybe the taste in the of the public and the consumers may evolve over a long period of time, but as of you think of today, is it more of the conveying the story of your product is it conveying what the product is is it simple you know is it certain color schemes kind of you know I'm sure it's different for every product and you know how you want to convey it but if you're thinking kind of as core principles and saying, okay I've got a rock solid great product tastes good or you know people are going to want it once they actually you know pick it up and try it they're going to love it but if they're saying now I got to convey that packaging you know what should you be thinking about as the, the core themes for packaging
0: well, you you know, again, it all starts with the story, which then will help push you in the direction that you want to go um, with the packaging. So they'll all, if you do it right, you're working with a good firm, they should be able to do both of those for you. But, you know, if you look at a company like Apple, everything for many, many years has come in a white box. Um, the size is different based on each uh, type of product but whether it was the original iPod um, or um, the first iPhone or the first Mac, they all came in white boxes and that's been a tradition that consumers have uh, learned to expect from Apple um, since the very first product was released. And so, um, you know, those are the type of things that resonate with consumers. So whatever you set, like, you know, think about when you go to the store and you shop, you know, you have to think about the design, not just of the packaging, but of the actual cell unit. So you have to think about like one of the clients we used to work with was one of the first companies to put a beverage in a bullet can. Why did we go with a bullet can or why did our client go with a bullet can? It was because when you feel it in your hand, the bullet can is one of the few Aluminum products that you can actually hold completely in your hand, and it and that in itself is is actually the first interaction that you have. You pick it up. How does it feel in your hand? And so there's a lot of products that have that aspect to them. But sometimes you have a product like kombucha which, except for ro- Rowdy Mermaid, which tastes, I think, great. I, I call Rowdy Mermaid the, the kombucha for the rest of us. A lot of the kombuchas are really bitter tasting. Um, some have too much alcohol, some are too sweet, but it's a very unique taste. There's no other beverage that tastes like kombucha. So, um, you know, that that's a case of an item that, in spite of its kind of gnarly taste, if you will, um, and I know people that really love kombucha think I'm crazy, but for the rest of us, it's it's an acquired experience without a doubt. But that was a product that couldn't sell itself necessarily on taste because it had such a different taste. So they didn't really talk about taste. They talked about probiotics and the health benefits of the beverage overall and and the usage. So they stayed away from talking about the taste more than more than you might with a um, a a normal beverage
1: Uh, that makes perfect sense so so now with that we've kind of gone over a bit of you know here's the product, you should consider, you know, first get the product, get a good product in place Then get the packaging, tell the story, make sure you understand that can well convey it. Now, the other thing that you hit on is, okay, get all of that. And let's say you have a great product, you have great packaging. And the thing that you mentioned, I thought was interesting is, you know, we talked a little bit before the podcast was that even with all that, you can have a great product. And if your team is not in place or isn't a good team, you're still setting yourself up for a likely failure. It's not going to have a likelihood of success and vice versa. You cannot hit, be perfect on the product or the you know the packaging, but if you have a great team, it can still be a successful product. So what makes a difference in the team or kind of how does that impact uh, be able to you know get a product into the stores or be able to get it on the shelves?
0: Well, a, a good experienced team um, has the ability to execute at both um, a, a speed and precision that other teams don't have. And you know, uh, a, a lot of that can be that they, they already have previous experience, which helps them with the uh, process of getting into the grocers. Um, they could have great relationships. And then, you know, your, your sales team is different than your manufacturing team. So you've, you've you know, the best breed of companies have great manufacturing facilities that are run by really strong people with strong backgrounds that understand processes and are able to organize and set up processes that allow them to be very efficient and can produce the product at a high level. Because anybody can handle, you know, one or two retailers, but as as the businesses start to grow, The question is whether or not you can scale. So you need a sales team and a manufacturing team that has the understanding, knowledge and experience to scale at a high level very quickly. Now, if you're a small company and your goal is to be at five million in five or six years, you're at a different growth rate, but a lot, you know, and you can, you can have more latitude to fudge, if you will. but most brands, like Chobani's goal, I remember meeting with them. The first thing they said is, we want to be at a billion in sales in five years. And when people would hear that, they'd be like, that's crazy. That's, that's next to impossible. But they did it. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that the sales team was very aggressive. Um, they... The management team knew how to get the best they could possibly get out of the manufacturing team, so that they could meet demand. Because if you go out and do your job in sales, but manufacturing can't deliver, then you know you run into a problem where you have out of stocks on the shelves, and that gets very frustrating uh, for the retailer. And even worse, the consumer just walks away from it and just says, "You know, I'm tired of this. Every I bought the brand." I came back. They haven't had it in three to four weeks. So there, there's, when you really think about it, um, if you do spend the time to really think about it, there's a lot of moving parts to it that you need to think about how you're going to put the pieces in place so that you can, um, you know, hit the growth spurts. Too, too often what happens is people build sales plans based on other companies or business plans, excuse me, and that might not work for them. Um, they might not have the, the, the people that can execute on it. And that's usually what happens. That's why a lot of companies stall at five, between that five to $10 million range because they don't have the teams that can get them further. And there's nothing wrong with being at five to 10 million. But if your goal for your investors was to get to 50 million, you've got a big problem on your hands because you don't have the ability to do that. And then, if you lose, you know, trust the investors lose trust in the founder. Then there's the possibility of whether or not uh, the investors think about replacing that person with a different
1: oh, CEO. No, that I think mean, is definitely insightful and, uh, and it's interesting to, to get a bit of insight as to how that all all plays out. So now one kind of question, and, and this is just kind of a, a wrap up question. I, we could go on for quite a long time and it'd be a great conversation. Uh, but to keep it at a reasonable scope for the listeners, I do have one question. It's probably a bit out of left field. We didn't talk about it before, but I was just more curious, which is one of the things that, you know, taking Costco specifically, that, you know, myself and my wife and the kids always used to love about Costco is you had the sampling, right? In other words, you could walk around, try a whole bunch of things, even if you weren't going to buy it. It was, you know, it was tasty and occasionally you buy something that really, you know, was really flavorful. And so for the food and beverage industry, a lot of that, you know, especially now with COVID and coming out of that, that's changed and they don't do the sampling and they don't do that. so it seems like it's changed a bit of the field. And so has that changed the field? Do you think it's ever going to come back or how have, uh, how have brands adjusted to that?
0: Well, first of all, it's back now. So. Okay.
1: Um, not not like, back last time I, I went, but my wife goes much more often than I do. <laughs> so take it for, I haven't been for a few months.
0: What, I'm curious. Uh, what state do you live in? Uh, Utah. Yeah. So, um, well, I know they're doing demos in, uh, Washington so and okay. Utah falls under the Washington corporate office mm-hmm. so um, they are doing demos up there now so they're you know there's always possible that there's a few buildings where they're not doing them right now but most of the Costco regions um, are doing demos again in fact Canada which has been without demos the longest they just announced I think it was last week or the week before that they're starting to do them again so the one thing Costco won't do is uh, because of allergy concerns is they won't demo any items with peanuts in them. So if you're, and, and that's a lot of items. So um, if you're, uh, you know, uh, five years ago they would, but they, they had something happen and now they want to protect, which is a good thing. Costco is always about protecting the member. Um, so it is hard if you can't demo because demo builds a lot of excitement I will say that in some regions it's slow, you know, some of the members are still a little hesitant in trying uh, items because of COVID. But I think we're, um, by the end of the summer, I think we'll, if things go, you know, and I've tried to predict this before um, and been, been wrong and some things I've been right on, but it can get a little tricky guessing on when a virus is, is done. But I think, you know, we're at a stage now where things should be stable unless another variant comes, um, we, we should be in good shape. And if, if that's the case, then you should be enjoying samples very soon in, in your local Costco.
1: Awesome. Well, good to hear on all fronts. And uh, I look forward to the day when I go back to Costco and I can see the samples, it may already be there and I just haven't gotten uh, recently enough to, to experience it. So it gives me a good reason to go back. So there you go. Well, with that, you know, as we're starting to wrap up the podcast, you know, for the in, inventive expert, I always have one, one question I'd like to wrap up at the end of each episode. So we'll jump to that now, um, which is within your industry, or within your area of expertise, what is one of the biggest myths that's out there?
0: Um, that the, there, there you read so much about the food and beverage industry right now that um, with plant-based and keto and everything else that's going on that you would think it's an an easy industry to be successful in. and Because um, there's so many new brands launching. Um, yes, there's a lot of access to capital that there wasn't 20 years ago, but the, it's a very challenging and very competitive, and grocery especially, is a very expensive market to launch in. Um, so I think one of the myths there is that it's easy to be successful In this industry and it's it's very challenging and it's even more challenging to build a brand that lasts a lifetime so um, you know longevity is not um, good to a lot of food and beverage brands you see some that come on quickly very successful in the beginning and then they're gone
1: saying no and that's you know, it, it, it makes sense. I think that one is, I'm sure it's hard to be continue to say relevant because people's tastes change. They always want to try something new. They get tired of something else. And so to be one of those brands that can be sustainable and actually not just be a bit of a flash in the pan and also just recognizing it is a pretty competitive. I mean, I think that everybody has their idea for, Hey, this would be a great food or great product. Everybody wants to try it and things would be fun and exciting. And yet to have that understanding of no, it, it does take a lot of of work and, and, and the end and teams and everything else to be successful is definitely a, a good uh, myth to bust. So there's good to, good to know. So with that, if people are wanting to reach out, if they want to be a customer, they want to be a client, they want to be an employee, they want to be an investor, they want to be your next best friend, any or all of the above, what's the best way to reach out, contact you or find out more?
0: Um, either our website uh, at launchpadgroupusa.com or LinkedIn. Or you know they can just call us at 650-576-8803. But any of those places, um, we're, we always try and respond uh, within 24 hours or less.
1: Awesome. Well, I definitely encourage people to, to reach out, contact you. If you have a food or beverage that you're needing some expertise and some help with to get uh, into these stores, definitely a good resource to have. Well, thank you again for coming on the podcast. It's been a fun, it's been a pleasure. Now, for all of you listeners out there, um, if you could uh, leave us a review, leave us a, or a share, click share, review, and, uh, and make sure that everyone finds out about all these awesome episodes and uh, make sure that uh, we can share this with expertise with as many startups and small businesses as we can. And uh, with that, if you ever need help with patents, trademarks, or anything else in your business, certainly feel free to reach out to us at Miller IP Law. Um, Just go to strategymeeting.com, grab some time with us to chat, and we're always here to help. Well, thank you again, Jeremy, for coming on the, the Inventive Expert and wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last.
0: Thank you.